there are men who recognize their distant cousins, all of them, but who don't recognize Wakanda as a sovereign nation. And then there's Adam Bernstein and Doug Bost. Two men who should have better things to do, but aren't doing them right now. These are two grown-ass men. Grown-ass men. We're back with a karate chop to the <laughs> pelvis, my friends. Another episode of Grown-Ass Men. Exciting today because oh, Adam Bernstein really wants to talk about Shang-Chi. Ah, uh, master of kung fu. These books are so well regarded from the 70s and I love them intensely. And, you know, like everybody else, when I was an 11 year old kid, I got totally involved in the martial arts craze that was going on. I went to this movie theater in Heightstown, New Jersey with my father, a buddy of mine and his father. 1975, I'm thinking. Happy theater. It's like a, one of those old porno theaters. Disgusting. Yeah. And we all go in. It's like a Tuesday night or something. It's like a rare treat. We're all going to the movies late at night. I don't know. Mom going? was fighting with my dad. So he's like, getting out of here. So dad <laughs> took you all to a porno movie. <laughs> Basically, yeah. And we uh, enter the dragon was mind-blowing for an 11-year-old kid. Oh, my God. Oh. Bruce Lee and the blood and the guy with the, the blades. He's such a personality. You can't take your eyes off him in those movies. And it's so rewarding to keep watching him because he he's he knows you're watching him and yeah. he's always doing something cool. Yeah, he's, he's unreal. But anyway, obviously, Marvel Comics knew they had to cash in on this scene. Shang-Chi was lucky enough that the people who either created him or got assigned to those books were masters. Great people. I mean, Jim Starlin. Jim Starlin, Jim Starlin, who we've talked about before, is a real favorite of, of yours yes. because he also created, well, he didn't create Warlock, but he did some of the best Warlock work. But he's not the best Shang... I mean, the best Shang-Chi artist is Paul Galassi. Paul Galassi is... King. He's the king. Amazing. He's the master. And, you know, when him and I'm hoping I'm saying it right, is it Doug Monch? I, I don't know. I would say I always say Mench. When those two got together, it's like Lennon and McCartney. They're in the zone. They figure out how to do the book in a very intelligent way. It's so beyond what I'm sure Marvel was hoping for. Well, they originally came up with uh Shang-Chi because Marvel wanted to license the TV show Kung Fu with Robert Carradine. David Carradine. David Carradine. Which is a I always great get my Carradine show. I loved Kung Fu. So they wanted to license, but they couldn't license Kung Fu because it was owned by Warner, okay. which owned DC. Okay. So they decided to still do their own uh, Kung Fu comic because everybody loved not only Kung Fu, but Bruce Lee. and But they didn't just take they didn't just create shang chi all by himself they actually did take some characters that had been created by sax romer yeah like old pulp characters from the 30s right 
uh, Sax Romer was a guy, he was like like a contemporary of Maxwell Grant and uh, mm. who's, uh, you know, the founder of Scientology, whatever his name is, Elmer oh. Hubbard. Like, right. they all sort of wrote Pulp Fiction together at the same time, Zane Gray and those guys. And um, he created a bunch of characters that Marvel took and then Marvel added Shang-Chi into the middle of it as the, as the focal point of all right. the issues. Which is great, because in the original origin issue, if I'm remembering correctly, he doesn't realize that his father, Fu Manchu, is such an evil bastard. Right. And then he figures it out and he leaves. I mean, but he's so trained in not only the martial arts as a physical thing, but he's so trained at the Zen practice of Kung Fu that he's just like... He has this level of calmness yeah. and mindfulness, like the Buddhists, that is so incredibly ahead of its time. I mean, now that's what people are talking about all the time, this mindfulness thing. And he's very sure of himself. In the best uh, of the Shang-Chi comics, right. he's, you know, he's got his own way of doing things and he's not going to let anybody change his mind. He's not going to let any of the Western characters sort of tell him how to behave until he meets Liko Wu who is one of the characters who becomes his the focal of his uh, love interest right and oh, then he Liko. right you know and this Galacy you know I just looked at some beautiful drawings of them kissing and it fades to black and it's just like there's this intimacy there that is like it's happening you know but what I was really... We read issues 29, 30, and 31. I mean, we have every issue kind of sprawled out in my studio here. They're all over the place. Which but 29, great. 30, and 31 is this really nice little arc. It's very much... Very like an Ian Fleming story. Like right. a uh, James Bond story. But it's written well because there's a very clear narrative drive to it which doesn't always happen in these comics you right. know in the avengers or something like that like you don't it know why things are happening you know but in in master of kung fu like at the beginning of this first comic there's a heroin sale that's going to go down and they have to go the reston and blackjack tar right and petri i can't remember right the, those the are the guys the who characters. run the organization the way those are like all James the sax, bond right those are all the sax rumor characters right and they bring in Shang-Chi and they say, we need your help. We're going to go and we're going to take down this heroin sale. And then they go to do it and they encounter a couple of villains on the way. And it turns out, of course, Razor that it's a much fist. bigger uh, it's like a bomb, nefarious right? plan. A very Bondian villain right. who's got a secret underground lair where he's got all these nuclear weapons and his name is Carlton Velcro which is a fantastic right. name for a villain and he's got Razor Fist and he's got another he's got like a dominatrix who with P a whip Pavane Pavane yeah Pavane. who works for him I loved Razor Fist because it's such an absurd character Razor Fist has these no arms with these two huge razors but the way he, they do it, it doesn't seem so silly. But you gotta think that his teeth must just, there must be so much plaque on his teeth at this point. That he just, <laughs> just the breath must be terrible because he's only got razors for hands. Oh man. And it's nice that uh, Shang-Chi is not 
an American. I mean, a lot of things about these issues are really nice. One of the things is that even though the other characters do all the talking, Shang-Chi is really leading all the action. Yeah. he He's making all the decisions. and He doesn't wait for them. They're ever. dialoguing, trying to scheme how we're going to do stuff. And he's the man of action. Yeah. When he wants to do action, he does it. And when he doesn't, he'll go meditate. You and <laughs> Shang-Chi doesn't hold a grudge against his enemies. Because he knows that Razor Fist and Pavain are really being manipulated by right. Carlton Velcro. So when all everything goes down and the place is going to blow up, he goes back to try and rescue both of them. Right. And he's he's not able to rescue Razor Fist, but he's able to rescue Pavain. Right. But I guess, you know, he even struggles with his relationship to Fu Manchu. Right. And Fu Manchu is like a Hitler character yeah he's so hard so evil yeah he's so evil but he's you know he learned the true essence of kung fu teachings you know i mean i studied karate for a few years in park slope and i i studied martial arts for a little while i studied with razor fist uh (laughs) here here in new york and i had to leave the class when he was encouraging me to just amputate my arms. So you would to, have your own eh, for the razors, and you know he, I just I wasn't committed. Could you get a discount on the razors? This art though is so fantastic. It's and I mind-blowing love art. That Paul Galassi is really inspired by a lot. He's obviously a movie buff, and right. he brings in a lot of movie references. I think that uh, certainly. Obviously, Shang-Chi is Bruce Lee, and he just looks right. like Bruce Lee all the time. And yeah. He's fantastic. He doesn't have the Bruce Lee outfit. Bruce Lee doesn't wear those huge, like, pajamas. Bell-bottoms, yeah. You're right. But, yeah. like, the muscle tone and the veins, it's all in the artwork. Oh, there's so much incredible so detail. sinew and the sweat, and there's so much expression. Even in the way people sit, he's able to get so much expression out oh. of these characters. But then also, he's <clears throat> obviously, like, modeling characters after Sean Connery and... Uh, Marlena Dietrich and right. David Niven, all these, and definitely like John Saxon from End of the Dragon, like Reston. Reston, yeah, looks Clive like Clive Reston. And but Reston also feels to me like he's inspired by Dirty Harry. Yes, like he really looks like the the posters for, I think, the, I was thinking of the Gauntlet, mm. and even more than the Gauntlet, Magnum Force. Like right. there's a poster for Magnum Force. Uh, and for Dirty Harry, where Clint Eastwood really looks like Reston, with the, the, the poses yeah. are all very similar. The way he draws action, the way he draws the fights, yeah. is just gets you right in the middle of the fight in this strange, not realistic, but also like hyper sweaty and realistic way. They're showing his thought process. Like there's that one scene, he's fighting Razor Fist, and he's like, Razor Fist is kind of gonna try and penetrate my chest with this blade, and he's, he's like clasps it in his hands. Yeah. He's like trying to, he's like having this dialogue in his mind about it when this guy's two inches away from just destroying him. Yeah, it's breaking down the fight in that way. You know what's interesting is like we're looking at all these issues of Master of Kung Fu, and Paul Glacey did not do all of them. And when he's not doing it, well-respected artists who are doing it, it still does not look, it doesn't make the book look like something special. 
I have a lot of thoughts about it because I've really looked at this art intensely my whole life. And even when he has, he has to get inked. He can't handle all the work. He doesn't even do the covers. When he gets inked, I mean, Dan Atkins does, I think, the best job. But And Pablo Marcus does very good in, like, the 40s and toward, heading up to 50, which I think is his last issue. But um, I feel when it gets diluted, his pencils are so fantastic. And issues 29 and 40... For whatever reason, maybe we'll find out if we get lucky enough to talk with him, yeah. is that he does his own inks. And those are just like... Those issues are so much better. He's able to ink himself and... The detail. Yeah. It, I mean, obviously very influenced by Steranko. And those... I love that Steranko. And Nick a Fury and Cap. Will those. Eisner, too. Like, hmm. those Will Eisner, I feel like... I mean, Starenko is influenced by Will Eisner himself, probably. But you know the way. Probably everybody was. He's you know, people on. jump from panel to panel, and the way words get integrated into the. Uh, right into the into art. Into the art, yeah. Yeah. I would love to recommend to people that they go out and read Master of Kung Fu, but they're not all at the same level. Like these three that we read, twenty nine, thirty, and thirty one, are fantastic. But they're not all that good. Right. Like, as soon as somebody else starts to draw it, it really falls off. It falls in apart. In quality. Because it's it's really all about what he's able to bring to it. Getting two guys in a room, and or a hundred guys in a room, and fighting <laughs> against, you know, one guy. Right. But it's like, we just read those that issue of, Man, of Spider-Man with the big wheel. <laughs> and it's just like, it's horrible. It Like, this writing is... It's moving it in a different place, even from where Stan Lee did it. It's not... Stan Lee made great books, but they're very over-the-top in a way, like what's happening emotionally. They're big things. This is much more subtle. That's what I find in these books. Okay, so I have something that I read about, because when you look at things on the Internet, you kind of go down a rabbit hole sometimes. Right. There is a guy. There is a science fiction writer. I think he's French. And his name is uh, Philippe Jose Farmer. And he came up with this thing called the Wald Newton Universe Theory. Have you ever heard of this? No. Okay. So his theory, and he came up with this theory, I think basically so that he could write the kind of books that the kind of science fiction novels that he wants to write. Mm -hmm. But he came up with this theory that in the 1700s, there was a meteorite that crashed in England, near mm -hmm. Yorkshire, England. It really happened in 1795. Right. Something called the Wold Cottage Meteorite mm. fell in England. And his theory is that there was a carriage passing by and that everybody who was in the carriage was irradiated by this radioactive meteorite that landed in 1795. And he figured out a family tree of all the people who were in that carriage and their descendants, in his theory of the world, are Sherlock Holmes, James Bond, Fu Manchu, he, the Shadow, <laughs> Doc Savage. He wow. basically takes all the characters who kind of live in their own universes, a little bit like Alan Moore does with right. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Right. He takes them all 
and he makes them make sense right. in his own mind. So he had a problem with Shang-Chi because Shang-Chi lives in a world with uh, Fu Manchu and Reston and Black Jack Tar and Petri and all these other characters who are right. Sax Romer characters. Sir Nayland Smith. Sir Nayland Smith. And they are all walled universe characters. Walled <laughs> Newton universe theory characters. So how does Shang-Chi fit into that? Right. And there is some speculation in strange, you know, dark corners of the internet. There's some speculation that Shang-Chi is still one of the Walled Newton universe characters and he doesn't really interact with the Marvel Universe characters. Okay. So it's there you a, go. It, uh, it gets no nerdier than that theory, I think. No. I was in the Strand the other day, and I was looking at on the shelves. I was just looking for any Master of Kung Fu, and I didn't see anything. I, you know, I saw all the other heroes have reprint you know, novels, compilations, yeah. but not... Shang-Chi. Yeah. If it's not in a graphic novel, Marvel Comics, you should just put it out. Anyway, we're we're going to really make an effort we to try and get Paul Galassi on the show so we can actually just tell him how incredible this artwork is. Oh. And he knows it. And, you know, shout out to Bruce Lee, too, for his incredible skills and just for bringing that whole world into the American universe. Yeah. In America, the Green Hornet show was called The Green Hornet. Yes. And in China, where it was incredibly popular, it was called Cato and the Green Hornet. It was? Yeah, because I he was the star. That. Yeah. I mean, because. He's phenomenal. He's in those. phenomenal in The Green Hornet, and he just took over the show. You couldn't compete. And they had those great crossover episodes of Batman and Batman, Robin yes. meeting The Green Hornet and Cato. And Batman would fight The Green Hornet. And Robin would fight Bruce Lee. I know. Like, there's right. no way Robin can beat Bruce Lee. Ever. No. Anyway, friends, that was grown-ass men talking about Master of Kung Fu. All right. All right, thanks, Take care. everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Grown-ass men. Look out for the next Grown Ass Man episode in our interview with the great comic book artist, Paul Galassi.